Welcome to South London Hardcore. I'm Jack McEnroy. My co-host is Steve Walsh. Hello. Uh, we're in Putney, SW15, the cradle of Western democracy. We'll be taking a tour of Putney, talking about both Cromwells, lots of political connections, uh, well, as we'll find out over the course of the show. We're currently in Putney Vale Cemetery. We're going to go and visit some graves in a moment, some notable graves. But before we do that, quick reminder to do all your Amazon shopping through southlandhardcore.com, the link there. Sign up for an Amazon Prime free trial as well, and you'll help fund the show. Howard Carter, Egyptologist, discoverer of the tomb of Tutankhamun. So really, Steve, the only Egyptologist I'm interested in, in a way. <laughs> Name another one. May your spirit live. May you spend millions of years, you who love Thebes, sitting with your face to the north wind, your eyes beholding happiness. What's, so Daniel Rees ties an outro, isn't it? <laughs> what's Thebes? Thebes is a place in ancient Greece. Right, because they're not of Cairo or something. Yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking, I, I suppose it's uh, the classical world, Right. generally, isn't it? Do you think it's a big moment if you've discovered Howard Carter's too? <laughs> Just how he discovered to uncovered. And strictly playing by his, his rule book, by rights, I can dig this up and take <laughs> anything out that like I find underneath. Yeah, that's, that's the rules, isn't it? We're at the grave of Eugen Sando, the father of modern bodybuilding. A German who lived in England and died in England. Tremendous memorial to him here. The, the lump of rock that he was. <laughs> is that the idea? Yeah, it's an interesting memorial for a number of reasons. The look of it is tremendous. But uh, by rights, that shouldn't be here. Towards the end of his life, he was unfaithful to his wife. So when he died, she requested he be buried with no memorial or marker. Oh, wow. <laughs> but uh, some of his uh, friends and well-wishers uh, gathered money together to put up a tombstone on his behalf. Yeah, how would you describe it, Steve? If you go to Instagram dot com slash slhc you can see a picture but tell him steve tell it, it's it's basically a lump of unhewn rock with his surname carved into it and his birth date and his death date i mean it, it, birth year and death year i should say it's a tremendous looking piece a notable death as well in a way apparently suffered a brain hemorrhage while trying to lift his car out of a ditch after he drove it off the road <laughs> too much, too much. The, 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 you know, physically the body can take it, but the brain was like, "What are you doing? Yeah, Stop yeah. lifting cars. This will do." So it's like a precursor to those world's strongest man tasks, isn't it? I say the father of modern bodybuilding in a lot of ways. In more ways than one. What if you could lift this rock? We're now at the grave of Roy Plomley, OBE, the creator of Desert Island Discs. He died in 1985, and the headstone—you can't read anything underneath that, can you? It's quite deteriorated. If they've got guess, Desert Island Discs on there, though. I'd, I'd guess that they're being 100 years of age and we're on that tombstone. I know there isn't. I know it's 30 years, but it just, it's just remarkable. Just sort of seeing how... I don't know what's happened there. It just looks like dirt's been kicked up onto it somehow. Yeah. I'm it's, but it's material, isn't it? We were saying, coming down here, like some of them just look immaculate, don't they? It's Desert Island Discs, Steve. Is it the longest-running radio show in history? Uh, Certainly one of the greatest... Yeah, you're a big fan. Yeah, I love it. Um, it's all on iTunes as well. You dive in and listen to all kinds of people. I've always felt that the long-term goal for you with this whole podcast, network, audio thing was to just engine it. Once you get the invite on Desert and this, we're done, aren't we? 
yeah, we can rest at that point. Yeah. I was talking about starting my own Desert Island discographies. And you can yeah, take I don't know if that's quite eight, different enough away. Six it. artists, you can take their whole discography. <laughs> but you have to listen to the bad albums. <laughs> so, Steve, if How you were on... that on the... Uh... Oh, well, you know, no luxury item if you don't. Which uh, which six artists do I take? Is it six? No, no, forget Desert Island discographies. Desert Island oh. discs. Right. right. Just give me give me two tracks you would def- definitely go on Desert Island discs for you. The Classical by The Fall, first track off Hex Induction Hour. And How Soon Is Now by The Smiths. Right. Long. They're In- both long interestingly, songs. Interestingly, on our way here, we walked past Gravel Pit Cottage. <laughs> and I noticed you've not taken any Wu-Tang with you. No Wu-Tang. Probably, if I was going to take one... Don't say the N-word. Don't say the N-word, Steve. What, neck? Shame on her. <laughs> protect your neck and neck, because they're all on it. And our final stop in the graveyard, the lady, Alexandra, Aline, McLean, Lucas, bracket, Sandy Denny. 6th of January, 47, to 21st of April, 1978. Singer with Fairport Convention. And uh, real tragic demise. Do you know much about Is it? No, I don't. Like Fairport yeah. Convention, I, if you named a song, I'd probably know it, but I can't think of any Fairport Conventions off the top of yeah, my head. There's, there's an, al- an album called Unhalf Brickin, which I've got. Called? Unhalf Brickin. Brick in? Or no, it's all one word. Brickin. Oh. Unhalf Bricking. I don't know what it means. But um, I've listened to it loads of times because there's three out of the eight tracks are Dylan covers. Right. And there's two bonus tracks and they're also Dylan covers. <laughs> one of them is uh, If You've Got a Go Go Now, but in French, which right. she sings. Um, and I really like the album a lot. What would be the, the the song of theirs that I would know? I don't know. I don't know to be honest. I've okay. only listened to that record, and as I said, it's mostly like I could say Percy's song, but or, or Million Dollar Bash for the both Dylan songs. <laughs> so I was on her Wikipedia, and she was sort of heavily into drugs and stuff, and like uh, she had a baby, and she didn't look hot. She left her baby in the pub and stuff, and like the the husband ended up taking the baby to Australia I don't know if he was Australian but just without her knowing just like kind of went with a kid and then a few weeks later uh, I, was, I didn't I was getting, it was too sad reading on Wikipedia but she died of like blunt force trauma which I don't know if it was self-inflicted by the sound of it but just like for like a few weeks after he took the baby away so it was like a horrible horrible uh, end to her life but um, you've just sort of lifted up a pot Steve on the headstone uh, on the grave yeah it was lying down and I was just you know I have no connection to this woman but be able to sort of stand here talking about her and not give it yeah, a little tidy but yeah um you know uh some couple of fresh fresh flowers on there it looks like a pretty fresh bunch of flowers lying on top of it as well so clearly you know um not if not maintained then visited quite regularly yeah yeah it's quite sobering the um the whole experience obviously sort of reminds me a little of not far away at all going to that mark boland yeah the tree where mark boland died where he crashed his car and there's a there's a, essentially a headstone, not a headstone, but it's a, a makeshift memorial. Isn't yeah, it? well, no, but there's a proper solid thing yeah. there as well, isn't there? Yeah. So a couple of graves we didn't visit, which we put, we would have done if we, if they had been on the maps of notable graves. Uh, Hattie Jakes, the Carry On actress. I'm sure, if uh, one time guest Lord Herks listening, he would uh, he's probably making would make his way here, wouldn't he? Pay tribute. Yeah. Arthur Rasky as well. Yeah, I'll ask you. I don't really know who that is, Steve, so can you tell me? He's a tennis player, yeah? <laughs> Just uh, groundbreaking. Um, yeah, British, British. Oh, no. Rob Pollard likes your photo. Sorry, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very famous British comedian from the 
early to mid 20th century. We're on Putney Heath now, Steve, and I've just realised we didn't go to see John Pertwee's grave. Oh, right. One of the Doctor Who's. But maybe, he wasn't on that list, was he? So maybe, like Hattie Jakes, he was cremated there rather than buried. Right, funerals rather than burials. We're on Putney Heath, Steve, uh, site of Robert Barden Powell writing parts of Scouting for Boys. You got ba- that? Baden Powell. Baden Powell, if you insist. <laughs> well, I'm thinking of Barden Meinhof. <laughs> Historically, Putney's been a bit of a political hotspot in terms of political figures born here, lived here, and operated around here. All the way back to William Pitt the Younger. Became Prime Minister at the age of 24. Oh, right. Very young, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Another important role of Putney Heath historically, politically, it seems, was to host duels between various political figures. In 1798, William Pitt the Younger himself duels with William Tierney, another Member of Parliament. And then later, in 1809, George Canning takes on Lord Castlereagh in a duel on Putney Heath. Who won? I think with a lot of these, it's a case of they line up, take a shot, no one really gets hit, and they go, all right, we'll call that, you know, we'll leave it there. They just, it's almost like this cultural thing that has to happen for them to move on to the next stage where they both sort of go, we've both learned a lesson in. So it's sort of like the rap battle <laughs> of the Barry Lyndon era. Yeah, but with ironically much less shooting. <laughs> High women as well were notorious operating round Putney Heath. Jeremiah Abershaw was arrested at the Green Man pub just off the heath in 1795. But some uh, innovation as well. Do you know about David Hartley? No, who's that? He was an engineer who in 1770 declared that he'd invented the fireproof house and built a model of his fireproof house on Putney Heath to demonstrate it. Did it burn down? It was a timber house that had like iron planks reinforcing it. So I think where he says fireproof house, what happens is the wood burns away and then you've got this like metal framework in the shape of a house. <laughs> How habitable it would be after the fire, I don't know, but... Yeah, he had one on, uh, had one on um, Putney, which you'd imagine, again, politically quite significant. You know, you, you, every so often setting fire to this plate of thing on the heath, you know, you've got Prime Ministers and Members of Parliament walking past all the time, sort of going, oh, is that a fireproof house? Kind of. <laughs> I still need a bit more money to perfect it. More iron planks. We've just got on the 85 bus, eventually found a stop for it, after walking about half a mile. I thought, Steve, I'd bring up... Uh, as we're talking politics the Putney MP from 1979 to 1997 David Meller has been in the news recently <laughs> what happened you shared a link on uh, twitter.com slash slhc didn't you I, I don't know if you said it on facebook.com slash south from the hardcore but that is the link I think I did as well I think <laughs> I did so I always try and find the guy that he uh, was rude to David Meller got a cab the cab driver started driving and went away that David Meller didn't like so he started having a go at the guy, and the guy's like, I know what I'm doing, I'm a cab driver. And David Miller's like, you're a cab driver? I was on Queen's Council, I was a member of the cabinet, I'm an award-winning radio broadcaster. Ignoring the fact that none of those things mean you know how to get around London better than a black cab driver. Um, and then he swore at the guy, he's very, very, just very rude, very ignorant. I mean, you know, uh, an important reminder, not only indeed when we get them what, on what feels like an hourly basis, that the Tory party despises us, isn't it?
people and what yeah. we are they and just constantly see... think they're better than us even if it is a thing where they, you know, their, their navigation skills are not going to match up to a black cab driver did you see his apology? no I bet it was brilliant yeah, but the best part about it is he's, he's donated money to like the Cab Drivers Benevolent Fund. <laughs> but, I mean, you'll remember, Steve, in uh, the 90s when he was on the front page of... Was it the News of the World with the uh, headline, something like David Meller made love in Chelsea Strip? Yeah. It was a big, I've... like, uh, scandal, wasn't it? Yeah, Max Clifford's engineered scandal. Uh, Antonio DeSantia, his uh, mistress... I mean, the thing is, he's made a lot in this argument with the cab driver about how the cab driver ruined his wife's day by driving a different way. You know, you've ruined your wife's day much, much worse ways than that, David Miller, haven't you? And on top of that, you know, he used to be a Fulham fan. And he yeah. switched allegiances to Chelsea. You know why he switched allegiances to Chelsea? Because they were better. John Major was a Chelsea fan and was Prime Minister and we're staying in the Cabinet. And I think he thought strategically that was the way to go. Yeah. I mean, what a, you know... Just when you think there's not another way for David Miller to be dreadful, it turns out he doesn't even have to do football right. We're going past Elliot School on the bus now. Well, it's now called Arc Academy. <laughs> it's uh, part of one of these chains of academies that may well turn out to not be a good idea. <laughs> but we'll see. But um, if you go back to episode 81, you can hear a playlist of artists we made that went to Elliot School. Um, just a regular secondary school but just happened to turn out Fortet and Jeff Beck Hot Chip Burial The XX Matt Munro loads of them so that's episode 81 if you want more Putney you can go to episode 135 we spoke to Ed Gray an artist who uh, grew up in Putney and also if you go to the episode go on to southlandhardcore.com find our all time South London 11 episode which we did quite recently during the World Cup wasn't it that's right Peter Bonetti in goal from Putney anyone else? I think just Benetti Bobby Moore used to live in Putney in his yeah. later years yeah. similar to the uh, politician thing it's just like uh, it's an expensive place to live in it yeah so, yeah, yeah. That's you know, if you've got yeah. expenses paying your rent definitely go and live somewhere expensive isn't it? yeah uh, Tom Courtney lives there now yep have you ever seen the loneliness of the long distance runner? I've not no it's going to be my only opportunity to mention it on the show but I'd say it's one of my 20 favourite films of all time it's absolutely marvellous but yeah, David Luiz lives here, apparently. Simon Le Bon, Pierce Brosnan went to school around there. They've got Fernando Torres listed as someone who lives here, but you can't have a feeling. He might still have the house, but most of the time in Milan now, isn't it? Is he on loan there? <coughs> no, he's signed permanently. Oh, right, good for him. You don't really follow football anymore, do you? Is he scoring goals? No, not really. It's no, Fernando uh, Torres, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The fact I have to ask that question shows how little I uh, know. We're back in flight path country, aren't we, Stephen? I think we really <laughs> remembered that. Right, so we're in Manor Fields, which uh, there's some grass here, but it's mostly private housing. It's kind of a nice little. Yeah, it's almost little... like a gated community, isn't it? It is. Like yeah, I think that's exactly it. what it is. Actually. Oh, right. Yeah, I think I did see some. Gates. And yet we walked in, so. Yeah, can't keep us out, man. So, Thomas Moore, a man for all seasons. Thomas Cromwell. Oh, yeah, I'm always getting them mixed up, aren't I? <laughs> so, which one's a man for all seasons? Thomas, Thomas Moore. Moore. And his. Thomas Cromwell in the film yeah he, he is yeah. right so I mean I think it's obvious here now Steve you need to tell me all about Thomas Cromwell <laughs> he was one of uh, Henry VIII's chief ministers a uh, very influential advisor one of the architects of the Reformation and one of the key figures in the establishment of the Church of England he arranges the annulment of Henry's marriage to Catherine of Aragon 
Pope, it's like the first divorce. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the Pope won't grant it. So he's like, well, we'll just get it annulled. We don't need uh, papal authority. And then it's a sudden drift from papal authority to the Reformation and Protestant control of Britain. He arranges Henry's marriage to Anne Boleyn. Him and Anne Boleyn fall out after that. He arranges Anne Boleyn's downfall, essentially. Really? Yeah. Well, you know, he would see it as a greater good. He's like, I just need this king to be happy so that he'll undertake the political reforms we need to thrive as a nation. To do that, he arranges a marriage to Anne of Cleves to try and cement uh, links with Germany and strengthen the changes that the Reformation brought about. But um, in the end, it's a dangerous game, isn't it? You know, playing with politics, playing with monarchs, you know, uh, he falls out of favour, is arrested for... Uh, heresy and treason and executed Henry regrets uh, it afterwards he's a very very impetuous man Henry he is uh, you know off with the heads and that, that, that mm. kind of deal but yeah Thomas Cromwell um, you know massive legacy obviously the reformation <laughs> it's a pretty big deal but also uh, significantly his nephew Richard Williams comes to work for him and uh, you'd imagine again in a politically charged move Richard changes his name to Cromwell, so he becomes Richard Cromwell. And Richard's great-grandson is Oliver, who would have been Oliver Williams if it weren't for name chains, but instead is Oliver Cromwell. Right. So that's where we get the name Oliver Cromwell from. (laughs) Where do we get the name Putney, Steve? Uh, I don't know, I didn't actually check it out. I figured it was was unclear, man. I figured the secret origin of Oliver Cromwell was, uh, you know, bigger draw in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll be hearing more from Oliver Cromwell shortly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you don't go away. We're on Paulton Scale Road now, outside number 18. Don't want to confuse people, it's not literally the house 18, it's further along on a wall. Uh, a green plaque for Clement Attlee, the Prime Minister of Britain from 1945 to 1951. It was the first green plaque that Wandsworth Council put up, and I don't know how many they've done since, because it's been massively scaled back, but it's a pretty big one to start with, isn't it? Yeah, major, isn't it? Britain's greatest Prime Minister ever, Steve, arguably. Yeah, he's got to be, hasn't he? Comes, comes out of the war and just reinvents what the country is. It shows, shows it where it can be. You know, overseas, the establishment of the National Health Service, the larger welfare state, decolonisation, you know, you know, carefully dismantles the empire. Brilliant. Everyone looking for in a Prime Minister. When we spoke to Ken Loach on the Newcastle Endeavour Free Film Festival episode in February. We talked to him about his film, The Spirit of 45, which is about that Labour government and about the incredible work they did. You know, tragically, a lot of it has been undone and continues to be undone by various Conservative governments. Not necessarily helped by other Labour governments, but, you know, not to the same level that the Conservatives want to kill the poor. <laughs> Another South London claim, really. Yeah, South London with a claim on, say, possibly the greatest Prime Minister that Britain's ever known. Also, with a claim on possibly the worst MP that Britain has ever known. Oh, right. Yeah. Not David Miller. No, not David Miller. <laughs> He's not from South London, David No, he Obviously. Isn't. But a man who is born in Putney, Christopher Chope, born in, uh, in Putney in 1947. So born into... Clement Attlee's New Britain, the welfare state, is a wonderful place where, you know, people are given a decent shake. And he goes into local government um, as a Conservative. 
which is a, you know, a sign of things to come. Sells off huge amounts of housing stock, this is in the 80s, and cuts council spending uh, to a degree where it becomes known as Chopper Chope. Gets a little nickname based around uh, how vicious he is uh, in his cuts. Chopper Dope. <laughs> He's a, a Tory MP now. Um, among his, uh, I can't call them achievements, um, crimes, crimes, let's call them crimes. Yeah. He wants to abolish the minimum wage. Can't see the point of that. Um, he blocked a bill to protect the poorest countries in the world from debt sharks that want to set up vulture funds that will essentially buy their debts off them at massive rates of interest and probably, you know, bankrupt countries. And again, you know, as, as we know, it was a, a keystone of territory policy, kill the poor enough, as you say. Um, he's organised various climate change denial meetings in Parliament, which is, is useful. I mean, kill everyone. If you're killing the poor, kill everyone. <laughs> Raised an objection to a debate on Hillsborough in the House of Parliament oh. to continue a debate on MPs' pensions. Because if Christopher Chope ain't getting paid, then I don't think we need to worry about why poor people are getting killed. With some other Tory MPs, set up an alternative Queen's speech um, at the start of the last government, where they outlined what they'd like to do ideally, which gives you a very clear idea of unfettered Toryism. Uh, Re-establishing the death penalty, compulsory conscription into the army, privatising the BBC, banning the burqa and leaving Europe. Oh, right. Yeah. I mean, he's like... He's, he's, there's no further right you can get in the Conservative. Oh, but I'm not done. No further wrong. <laughs> and in a speech in Parliament about the uh, rights of, of House of Parliament staff, re- refer to them as servants, which he came off with a slip of the tongue, but it's a very telling <laughs> slip of oh, the tongue. Funny, he objected to and tried to block Alan Turing's posthumous pardon. Alan Turing, no. a man who uh, was criminalised for his homosexuality and later committed suicide, was offered, his family were offered a posthumous pardon by Parliament, and they were like, that'd be nice, that would give us some, some peace in the. And you know, it, it, it brings, all it does, giving Alan Turing a posthumous pardon, is give his family some peace and settle their lives a little bit. It doesn't hurt any of us, it doesn't affect me, it doesn't no, affect you, it doesn't affect of, anyone. Just reverse, what? maybe to reverse to a degree some embarrassment at your behaviour in the past. Who, who, the what, harm, what harm does it do anyone what to offer a question? Oh, he's a gay man, he's probably glad he's dead, let's be fair. Mm. Um, recently, and I didn't know it was the same guy, um, but I did uh, mention this on Facebook the other day, he recently filibustered a bill to prevent the banning of retaliatory evictions, which are evictions where landlords, and probably important to mention at this point, he is a landlord. Yeah, right who want to evict people on the basis that they make complaints about their living conditions. So, you know, you've got people living in slums in the 21st century in uh, a civilised country and they complain about that to their landlords and the landlords are like, well, I'll just kick you out and get someone else in that will pay me a very high rate for uh, a death trap. Also, um, has claimed, this is the thing, Chopper Chope doesn't like, doesn't like public spending or, you know, gays, poor, ethnic minorities. There's a list of things he doesn't <laughs> like. Um, but has claimed, obviously, thousands of pounds of my money, your money, our money, as uh, parliamentary expenses. My favourite one, uh, £881 to repair a sofa. Get another sofa for less than £881. Boy. You terrible, terrible yeah. person. I'll go as far as to say scumbag, innit? Absolute yeah. scumbag. Holding here and being. So... Realistically, as wonderful as Clement Attlee is, as South London, we kind of need that karmically just to balance out 
what a terrible, terrible human being was born, you know, stones throw away from him in the form What's of Christopher Church. What's his constituency, do you know? Uh, one of the rings of hell. I can't remember which one. That. <laughs> um, he's, um, he's outside London somewhere. I can imagine a massively safe seat. I mean, who's getting rid of this guy? Yeah. He's a keeper. Yeah, well, the thing is, what kind of scumbags are voting for him? Yeah, who's reading that and going... Uh, yeah, we just you know. That's my guy. I don't need I don't need posthumous pardons that do that may have no effect on my life whatsoever. We've got the river in sight. We're on Festing Road, outside number fifty four, the home, former home of uh, David McKee, and next door fifty two, the home of his most famous creation, Mr. Ben. Older listeners will. Uh, We'll know it as Festive Road, won't they, Steve? That's right. From uh, the intro. Confirm with me what older listeners think. Cause <laughs> <laughs> well, I did look up Mr. Ben to see, obviously, to see um, when it was broadcast and to see if you were around. But when I started watching an episode, well, first thing to say is that it looks exactly like like the, uh, the the real road, looks exactly like the show. Like I think he drew it looking out of his front room window, by all accounts. But yeah, it was broadcast in 1971 and 72. When you watch it, you can see that. I mean, it's just a camera hovering over, well, rotoscope, I suppose, hovering over images. Very little actual animation, isn't there? Yeah, it tends to be figures standing there, voiceover doing uh, talking, and occasional movements of the arm to indicate action. And do you know how many episodes were made, Steve? Not a lot, 12? Yeah, 13. 13. 13 mm-hmm. episodes. And it's like a mainstay of uh, children's television, isn't it? Important to remember, though, how little was being made at that point. You know, we're living in a world of CBBS and children's ITV and BBC, where it's just a constant churn of new material in it. Dave McKee also responsible for King Rollo, another popular seventies animated kids show. No, and... I do that one, man. Oh, right, yeah, very good. Uh, it's got a refreshing attitude to uh, constitutional monarchy. In that King Rollo is a bit of an idiot, and the people around him are the smart ones. And um, books-wise, also Elmer the Patchwork Elephant, which is uh, another winner, I think. Oh, ubiquitous in children's yeah. libraries. Well, and Not Now Bernard, you know, a really? kids' classic. Yeah, you know. Oh, Not Now Bernard's really good, oh, isn't it? Oh, yeah. cast iron kids' classic, isn't it? It's like the best a, ones. It's um, the Boy Who Cried Wolf update, Yeah, isn't essentially, it, really? yeah, yeah. But really, really good. Going back to Mr Ben, though, Steve, did you watch it as a kid? Yeah, bits and pieces. I wasn't an avid fan. You but... didn't have, like, a bowler hat in tribute. <laughs> Well, of course, the bowler hat, another South London invention. So. Save it for a later day, Steve. Save it for a later <laughs> day. But yeah, I remember the show. I mean, it's a great concept, isn't it? Mr Ben goes into his local fancy dress shop and whatever he puts on, he turns into and has an adventure. Yeah, the one I watched, he put on this, I don't know, Middle Eastern outfit and went to, and met, he went and met a genie. And he's got the magic carpet, hasn't he? Yeah. And again, does he have that every week? No, no. But the magic carpet in that episode, and again, oh, know, I guess it's, it's only real... thirteen, isn't it? I'm like, oh, does he? You know, no, I've had <laughs> There's no one. continuity. Um, the uh, magic carpet, the animation of the magic carpet, is essentially a cut out of them on the magic carpet floating across. Uh, the back. But it's really effective, and it's quite interesting the whole sort of um, plotting of it as well, where. You know, rather than the usual story about greed and avarice with a genie, uh, the little boy that's with him um, tells the genie to make a palace and then gives the palace to the genie to live and his last wish is that the genie is free. A few other famous people from or have lived in Putney, keeping it on, a kid's entertainment tip. Jerry Anderson and Jim Henson both 
had workshops in Putney for a short time. Yeah, that's uh, for a short time. Was for it? a short time, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no major work undertaken there. Well, but, I mean, does that mean Steve, you'll be talking about the father of modern ventriloquy? <laughs> Who uh, we walked past the blue plaque for the guy. What was his name? I can't remember, but he was only... He lived Google before. it. Google Father of Mono Drunk Ventriloquy. If he don't come up, then his claim's probably not legit. Other more significant Putney claims. Edward Gibbon, born in 1737, who writes History of the Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, um, a six-volume comprehensive overview of the fall of Rome, which started, interestingly, as a story or a book just about Rome as a city. Oh, right. Yeah, he's walking through Rome and was like, this is beautiful, I'm going to write a book about Rome, the city. And then just found himself carried away going, yeah, but how's it got to this state? And, and then, is it fair to say that was, that is the basis for the history of ancient Rome as we understand yeah, it? Yeah, nice, key works, key work. Also born in Putney, Lawrence Oates, an Antarctic explorer, part of Scott's expedition in 1910. Didn't like Scott, didn't go on with Scott. He's hired to like look after the horses on the expedition. And uh, Oates writes his diary about the five-pound donkeys that Scott's hmm. provided him with. But probably most famous, well, definitely most famous for his famous gesture where he realises that they haven't got enough resources to keep everyone alive and his colleagues have the best chance of survival. So he gets up and says, I'm just going outside and maybe some time. And they'll kind of know he's not going back and he kills himself to save his friends. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, right. I thought he just was like, I may be some time and men in like ten minutes. No, no, he knew. They all sort of knew. That someone's going to have to go yeah. sacrifice themselves. But rather than have the conversation, he just sort of got up and went, I'm just going to head off. I might be some time. Knowing that, you know, it's going to be a lot of time. All oh, right, he's still not bad. <laughs> Another explorer, in a way, Robin Knox Johnston, who's born in Putney in 1939, and becomes the first man to complete a single-handed non-stop circumnavigation of the globe. Right, right, Which right. is pretty major, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of rowing and sailing around Putney with its riverside location. Start point for the boat race, most famously. Yeah, we don't need to dwell on that, though, do we, Steve? Every time we're getting in the river, we're talking about that boat race. (laughs) We've reached Putney Bridge now. Uh, It's quite a nice high street, isn't it, Steve? Apart from the inflatable Garfield. (laughs) As you said, it's quite Catford. Yeah, trying to be Catford. And it's opposite uh, a Marks and Spencer's Etonian guy and a Waitrose and you've got this sort of inflatable well deflated Garfield Eddie Katz I thought you said Edible Katz and I was like that's an interesting Mm, (laughs) we're at St Mary the Virgin Church by the river you can't miss it can you the site of the Putney debates in 1647 where people involved in the Civil War who would be deciding or thought they'd be deciding how the country would be run after um, the king is deposed basically developed ideas about what a constitutional democracy should look like and debated and came up with a thing called the agreement of the people which was as I say, a sort of outlying constitution Britain doesn't have a written constitution we have a constitution that evolves according to tradition and ideas that have worked but they attempted to sort of transcribe their ideas into something that would be a working paper to use after the the end of the war things like universal male suffrage and taking away property qualifications from voting freedom of religion 
Yep. But, what, one. but I read Catholics were exempt, yeah? <laughs> yeah, some people are more free than others. There's a, a whole clique of quite radical free thinkers, the levellers, who came up with some of the most, you call them extreme, but I'd call them sensible uh, ideas about what the, the Constitution should uh, be composed of. And our old friend Oliver Cromwell dealt with those objections by killing as many levellers as he could. That was his solution oh, yeah. to any sort of... Uh... My dad, Steve, has often referred to Oliver Cromwell as the greatest Englishman who ever lived. <laughs> I differ. I differ yeah, in that yeah, view. I thought you might. So, what, go on, tell... If we've got some ignorant listeners and they want to know, what's the story, man? About Cromwell? Yeah. Um, you know, banned Christmas. Banned Christmas? That's, let's put that at the uh, <laughs> top, of the, top of the list. It's but, in a way that, like... Leicester Council have banned the Christmas front <laughs> <laughs> page news. But my, my major issue, obviously, uh, his record in Ireland, where you know his response to any sort of unrest of people not wanting British soldiers wandering around was just you know, kill as many of them. How as many possible. people did he kill over there? Is there I an d- yeah, I don't have numbers, but I mean, you know, one of his more infamous uh, moments is when one of his commanders sort of they've sort of ransacked a village and killed the the. The men and the soldiers, and his sort of commanders asked what they should do uh, with the women and children. And he was like, "Kill them as well." Uh, You know, I think he said, uh, "Lice make fleas." Right, it sounds terrible. Yeah, my dad said that. Well, he's seen as a a heroic figure because he's seen as being synonymous with the, the birth of democracy in Britain. In that, it's the ascent of Parliament over the monarchy. And, you know, it is an important time. And, you know, the agreement made that this church is very influential. More so in America, where it forms the backbone of their constitution, which is written down and takes many of the same ideas that were were written down here. But, you know, uh, the English Parliament seems the mother of all parliaments and the constitution of parliament in terms of how it works is influenced heavily by the agreement of people, which is worth it. So, So you can make a claim for this spot in Putney being the, the birthplace of modern democracy. I'm longing for a time, Steve, when planes weren't going over it. How do you have a decent Six, debate in that 1647, isn't it? Yeah. it would have been, uh, Nowadays, hold on a minute, you know, let the uh, Boeing... But do you reckon off. there would have been a moment where like, we just let this cart go past? Because <laughs> I, I can't focus. Our journey ends here. Thanks for listening. Visit southlondonhardcore.com or search for southlondonhardcore on iTunes and you'll be able to hear... 140 other episodes we've not got out to South West London as much as we've got out to other parts of South London Steve but our rich our rich we're part of the Holdfast Network so if you go to holdfastnetwork.com you'll be able to listen to some more podcasts you may enjoy or search for Holdfast Network on iTunes mm-hmm.